Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. I start this episode stressing about um, the leaf blower and my dog barking, and it does go away. Just so you guys know, that noise does go away. Hi, everyone. Here's the thing. They're doing leaf blowing outside my house, which is annoying as fuck, but it's been going on for over an hour and it hasn't stopped yet. So if you can hear it, I'm really sorry, but I have to record this podcast now. It is so fucking loud. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's just getting louder. But as I said, I have to record. Oh, and now my dog's flipping out about it. Okay, let, let's all take a little breather. I have to record this podcast now because I have a lot of homework that I have to do. <laughs> so I am really sorry if you can hear it. Uh, I hope that you are listening and thinking, I don't hear anything. Although I find it hard to believe that you can't hear that dog barking. <sighs> oh, guys, you know, such is life, right? The show must go on. Anyway, hi, how are we? Are we doing well? So what's happening in Teen Momland? Not that much. Um, right after actually I finished recording last week, I'm not kidding, every fucking time I start talking again, my dog barks. <laughs> I'm gonna lose my mind right now. Okay, after I finished recording last week, there was drama between Chris and Kale. It's really hard for me to keep up with their drama. Um, I find it really depressing to follow because I it's I don't know. I think Chris is, like, not well. I think that there's more stuff going on. Obviously, I feel that way about Kale, too. I cannot understand the PFA situation. Apparently, there is still an active PFA, but he was there for the birth. I think Kale is, like, abusing the legal system, um, especially considering the fact that Chris is black and she is white. And I, like, that obviously comes into play when talking about this, right? So I I mean, what Kale is doing is not unusual for a victim of domestic violence to get a PFA or restraining order and then ignore it and then enforce it when they want it enforced and then ignore it. And it that's not uncommon, I guess is what I'm saying. I guess the issue is, is that I find Kale to be a... Essentially, pathological liar, if not pathological, just like a liar. Like, I find her to lie a lot and in a different way than Janelle does, but she lies a lot. So, I don't know what to believe when it comes to Chris, but like, based on his actions, he seems like a terrible person. Like, if I take Kale and her accusations out of the equation, which is that he is abusive. Um, Just based on what he does, which is he never seems to see his son. We know that he tried to assign his rights away to his son. The fact that Creed is like six weeks old and Kale can't remember the last time Chris saw him. Like to me, those actions speak louder than words, right? Like Chris is obviously not a good guy in this situation. I think Kale is not a good guy in this situation. I think they're very mutually toxic and abusive to one another. And it actually is like physically painful for me to watch this sometimes because I find it a little triggering um, when I really think about it. I just, I know that feeling of being with someone for so many years and it just being like so awful. Now, I wasn't abusive towards my significant others. I've never, I've never hit anybody besides like my brother 
um, when we were kids. And even then, we, like, barely fought like that. Um, so it, <laughs> I don't think I'm quite the same as Kale, uh, but I do understand what it's like to just be, like, trapped in that terrible relationship that you absolutely cannot let go of. And, yeah, I just... I don't know. I have a lot of empathy for Kale. And the weird thing is, and no, it's not the weird thing. The predictable thing is that Reddit and the team on fandom is turning so hard on Kale. I mean, they have been, but now people are saying that she's as bad of a mom as Janelle. Like that's where the hate level is. So as you all know, the contrarian nature in me is like, I need to defend Kale. <laughs> but it's not that I want to defend Kale because Kale makes so many bad decisions. I just... I've always said, right, that this podcast is not a hate podcast and it's never going to be a hate podcast. And I don't think it's interesting to just read straight hate or listen to straight hate. I'm not listening. I'm not interested in podcasts like that. I'm not interested in reading those Reddit posts. I'm not interested in those type of Twitter accounts for anything, like no matter what it is. I'm just not interested in it. I don't think that that's like how many times can I fucking say interesting? I don't think it's interesting. And to me, there's no... Like, what's the point of me coming up here and being like, Kale's awful, we hate Kale, Kale should die? Because that's what every other teen mom person is saying, you know, like what everybody else in the teen mom fandom is saying. And I, on the other hand, like to try and give as much compassion as possible to all uh, all of the people on this show. Like, everybody that's in this orbit. Um, I, I really do. I, like... I think it's just like my natural nature to want to do that. And I want to understand why they're doing these things. And for me with Kale, she just like is so broken to me. And it, I pity her, you know, like more than I hate Kale, I pity Kale. Um, I, first of all, I don't think she's that bad of a mom. Let's talk about this. So there's been a big thing lately about how Kale's a horrible mother, and it's based on her relationship with Chris. I don't think that, how do I want to say this? I think that, of course, her children are going to be affected by the fact that she's been in an on and off abusive relationship for the last five years with Chris, right? Like, of course, especially Lux and Creed. Like, they're the ones that are going to get the worst of it because at least Isaac and Lincoln have dads. Like, they have stable fathers. Ugh, is Javi stable? <laughs> That's a question for another day. But they have two sides of the family that love them. I think that there is a lot of chaos in Kale's world. I think there is a lot of instability in Kale's world. I think that those things are true. And I think that to deny them would be insane of me, right? Like, it would be insane if I, like, sat up here and was like, Kale's a perfect mother. Her kids are going to have no issues with her. Um, but at the same time, like, I do think that Kale puts in an effort. I think Kale's probably a lot like my parents <laughs> where they like loved their children and put in an effort. They just had a lot of issues and like those issues unfortunately got in the way of them being able to be very good parents but that doesn't mean like that they were re bad parents. I think that they're like it's the world is just not so black and white like that and from what I see of Kale's children they're happy, they're healthy, like they are funny, they're engaging, like not for nothing. And all people will always be like, well, Isaac and Lincoln are with their dad. So it must be Joe and Javi that have that influence. But look at Lux. Lux is one of the funniest little kids on this show. He is what, three years old. 
He speaks really well. He's super engaged. Like even in this episode, he was being so cute. Look at him compared to, I mean, it's shitty to say, but compared to Ensley. Like if you watch videos of Ensley, which she doesn't really post that much anymore because she get, Janelle gets so ripped apart from it. Like it's obvious that Kale reads to her kids. It's obvious that Kale does homework with her kids. It's obvious that Kale goes to their activities. It's obvious that Kale loves and supports them and I think wants to be a good mom. Um, I just think that she has a lot in the way and I think it's really sad that the kids are going to be so affected by her abusive relationships, whatever side the abuse is on. Um, I think people have just, I think in general, people hate Kale a lot more <laughs> than people in her life hate her. When it comes to Janelle, almost everybody in Janelle's life seems to hate her, right? But with Kale, like, you know, her and Javi are getting along fine now. Her and Joe mostly get along fine. Her and V are seem to be legitimate, pretty good friends. Does she lose friendships a lot? Yes, absolutely, she does. But I think the fandom hates Kale a lot more than any of the people that she actually interacts with. Um, and I think it's hard for people to fully grasp that. And I People are like, her kids are going to grow up to hate her. She's going to be the mother-in-law from hell. She has narcissistic personality disorder. Her kids are going to be raised by narcissists. Her kids aren't going to want to live with her when she's older. I just don't think that that's true. Um, I think that she will have issues and the kids will have issues. But at the same time, like a lot of kids have issues. And when we compare her to a lot of other families, it's not... I mean, look, you can't compare traumas. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think that Kale wants to be better, but she doesn't know how to be better. And I think, unfortunately, that's going to be a theme in a lot of her life. And I think she does make an effort to parent. And I think that is what sets her apart from um, a shitty parent. But that doesn't mean I'm saying Kale's like the mother of the year. Like, obviously, at least as of now, like Chelsea's little kids that she has with Cole are going to grow up in a much more stable house than Kale's kids are. Of course, obviously. Like that, like it would be crazy to deny that, right? Like that would be insane. But that doesn't mean that like she is a Janelle style mom. I, I just feel like she's been getting so raked over the coals lately in a way that I don't quite understand. And I understand a lot of people just like deeply hate her and like fine, I don't know. I just don't care to hate any of the Teen Mom characters like that. I don't really think it's interesting to watch a show and like never be able to see their point of view and never side with them no matter what. I guess the only person I feel that way about is Nathan. He's that person for me. So yeah, I never side with him, I don't think. So I guess there's that. I guess that's my person I feel that with. And I understand most of us have that person, especially on this show. And I just feel like Kale gets... Not, it's weird. I don't know how to say it. I don't think the hate for her is undeserved as far as, like, her actions. I think Kale deserves a lot of hate for her actions and her behavior because it's really bad. You know, she's, like, anti-COVID. She's anti-vax on top of all the other bullshit. Like, Kale's not very likable. And I think that's totally reasonable to acknowledge and I understand why people don't like her and I understand why people hate her. I guess I can't understand like why the hate has reached Janelle level 
for me. Like nothing in Kale's life is anything close to like what Kale or what Janelle or Amber have done. And I feel like Kale is getting more hate than both of them, honestly, especially way more than Amber. I think it's because Amber hasn't been online that much lately. And actually, besides like those little bursts of time when she'll be on like Instagram live every day, has never really been much of like an internet fighter and a person that airs all of her laundry out on the internet. And I think that's probably why the fandom has never hated her quite as much because they really only see her behavior on the show. And Kale like lives online and Kale like also has a <laughs> her posts. It's like she has no self-awareness. I don't know really where I'm trying to go with this. I guess I just want to say like I understand why people hate Kale, but I think it is insane to pretend like she's on the same level as Janelle or Amber. I think that's crazy. I think it's insane to pretend that her kids have anything similar to a life that those kids at the swamp have. Or like what having Amber as a mother is like. I think it's incomparable. Um, But that doesn't mean that I think Kale is a particularly good person or that I think she's like an outstanding or a particularly good parent. I just don't think that it's as bad as people make it out to be. So why did I bring this up? Oh, because last week Kale sent Lux to Chris's house. As you all know, Lux has that beautiful long hair. I know some people hate long hair on kids. That's something I truly don't get. I don't understand having an opinion on kids' hair. As somebody that has an opinion on everything, like, I, I don't really get it. Um, and But we know Kale's keeping it long for whatever reason. She says Lux doesn't want to cut it, but it doesn't really matter why she's keeping it long because it's her decision to keep it long. Uh, I think there are a lot of gender norms that go into play here, even though people act like it's not. And I'm sure it's not that way for everyone, but I do think for a lot of people, they just don't like a boy with long hair. I have quite a few friends who have started letting their boys' hairs grow long as toddlers and don't cut it until they say they'll cut it. And, like, on Facebook, I'll see, like, people in their family, like, comment on the picture. Like, when's he getting a haircut? Like, it's so rude. And I think that obviously is because of gender norms, right? It would be like silly if we pretended that had nothing to do with it. And like I said, I'm sure for some people it doesn't, but I do think for a large majority of the people it does. Kale hasn't cut his hair or maybe she's gotten it trimmed, but she keeps his hair long. Okay. She sent Lux to Chris's mom's house. According to her, she did not know Chris would be there, which is why she sent him over there. Chris was there and they cut Lux's hair. Okay. This is, I absolutely cannot see the other side of this. I just can't. I cannot see Chris's side or her out. Anybody is not on Kale's side with this. Chris does not have the right to make any parenting decisions when it comes to Lux. It does not matter if Kale's petty. It does not matter if Kale, like, basically, Kale's behavior doesn't count in this equation. Because the fact is, Chris tried to sign over the rights to Lux. The only reason that he didn't is because the judge wouldn't let him. He does not have any custody rights to him. He has supervised visits. And he does he's not active in Lux's life at all. He sees that kid like a few times a year sometimes. Like he is not an active parental figure in Lux's life. So he does not get to make decisions like that. He just doesn't. He doesn't get to make any decisions when it comes to Lux. He's not. And neither does Lux's grandma. Kale is his sole caregiver. 
right? Like Kale is his caregiver and she is the one that gets to make these decisions. Not to mention the fact that it literally looked like they just hacked at it with kitchen scissors. Like if you had shown me that picture, I would have assumed that he got gum stuck in his hair and then they just like haphazardly cut it out before they could go get him like a haircut. According to Kale, this was his first haircut. Chris says he had a trim before, but even if he had a trim, this is obviously like a significant haircut. They cut off multiple inches of hair. I'm seriously losing my mind. My dog will not shut the fuck up. And it's because they're leaf blowing and because people are walking around leaf blowing. This is like a true nightmare. The leaf blowing is so fucking loud and annoying and it's making my dog so fucking annoying. <laughs> also, why does this dog bark? Because obviously my mom and stepdad did not train this dog not to bark and it's annoying as fuck. <laughs> She's well behaved in every other aspect. She's an incredible dog in every other aspect her barking is just out of control it's out of control it's it's um it's unbearable okay where was I oh so I just think like people are like well kale would do it too and it's like okay but one kale didn't like kale didn't do it <laughs> and two especially people are like well kale would get his haircut without talking to Lux and it's like but why would kale need to talk to Lux or <laughs> without talking to Lux without talking to Chris and so why she can't be mad at Chris for doing it. It's like, but why would Kale talk to Chris? Because Chris doesn't have any sort of caregiving rights over Lux. He just doesn't. And that's all his fault because he doesn't want to be an active parent. So there's that, right? Like, I don't know. I just don't really understand, like, how people don't see that that's a big deal. Kale was in the right with this. But, like, here's where Kale was in the wrong. Did this need to go on the internet? No. No. Did she need to put it all over social media, including multiple pictures of what they, the hair looks like, calling Chris a narcissist, calling it narcissistic abuse? No. Of course not. Did Chris need to go on Instagram Live and say that next time he sees Lux, he's going to shave it and he should have scalped him? Mm-hmm. Because that, that's what Chris said. Um, I think it's very clear that this was done to hurt Kale, and I don't, I just think Chris is such a bad person. I think that Chris is such a bad person. And when it comes down to it, you know, Chris and Kale may have mutually abusive relationships. They may mutually be toxic, but Kale's one raising his children. Now, that's by her choice, you know, like nobody forced her to get pregnant with Chris's kids and nobody forced her to carry those babies to term. She had options. But at least she's the one putting in the work and making sure those kids at least have some sort of decent life. Ugh, I just think Chris is such an asshole. Like, it's just so fucked up to do that. It would be one thing if they, like, took him to a hair salon. It would still be wrong, right? I still would be 100% not on Chris's side. But, like, if they took him to a salon and got him, like, a real haircut, I just can't imagine, like, why they felt like they needed to sit him down and, like, cut his hair with kitchen scissors. Oh, God. Kale and Chris, like, and of course, you know, she then goes on her podcast and trashes him on his, her podcast. Apparently, she's enforcing the PFA again. Uh, they need to have a joint PFA against one another. Like, the court needs to order them to not have any contact except through those, like, parenting communication apps. Because, like, I, Kale needs somebody to force her away from Chris. Kale needs somebody to, like, stop her in her tracks. She seems to never, like, she's never going to be able to leave him. 
I really don't, I don't know what will have to, what it will have to take for Kale to leave him because he seems like a terrible person and that hasn't stopped it before. God, what if she gets pregnant by him again? I think she will. I think next year I could see her getting pregnant by him again. She says she doesn't want to have any more babies, but like, mm, I'm not sure that I believe that. Oh, Kale, 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 Kale. I just want her. I think that if she could figure out a way to permanently leave Chris, then she could work on her issues. But I think I think that when you are in a toxic relationship, whether you are the abuser, you're being abused, or you have a mutually abusive relationship, I think that it is almost impossible to really work on your demons because like your soul is being sucked out of you via abuse or via toxicity, right? And it's like very, I think, I think that with help and therapy, a person can like get the courage and the strength to leave that abusive situation. I'm just saying I think it's very hard to make real progress on yourself when 24-7 you have to be in this mode of like this toxic relationship. I just think it's like, like I know when I was in an abusive relationship, I mean there are also drugs involved, but like I would constantly be trying to like fix myself, but like none of the effort I made like would really do anything because then I would be like right back in all of my worst behaviors with my ex-boyfriend and I I guess that's what it is like when you are in a really toxic relationship like that like all of your worst behaviors are constantly coming out and if you really want to better yourself in your life you have to give yourself the chance right like you have to give yourself the ability to make good choices. You have to give yourself a safe space. You have to give yourself the opportunity to change. And if after therapy and after DBT and after the hard work that you're doing, you then go home to this toxic relationship and then all of your worst behaviors come right back out, it's not that all of that work doesn't count. It's that it's so much harder for that work to succeed. You know, like it's so much harder to succeed when you constantly are living in what I would call character defects. So I just, I hope that, I think that if she, I think Kale could get better. I think if Kale really left Chris and Kale decided to get serious about seeing a psychiatrist and a therapist, I think that she could get better. And also here's the thing, like, I just want to remind everyone that these women are not even 30 yet. I think Amber might have turned 30. Like, they are young. Like, some people don't get better. Some people never get better. Some people get better in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Like, there is still time. And I really hope that, honestly, even Janelle, even Janelle could get better. If she, like, totally leaves David, she checked herself into inpatient for a significant amount of time, got on meds, did the DBT, like, did the work. Like, Janelle could live a much better life. Um... I think it's sad that everybody is like totally written off these people, even Amber. If Amber if Amber wants to go do the work, she could get better. And I just what I always try and remind myself is that they are so young and that they still have like I mean, Kale is another 60 years of living, right? So I hope sometime in that 60 years, Kale decides to give herself an opportunity to get better. Okay, let's talk about this week's episode right after a quick break.
Should we just start off with Kale since I've already been talking about her? Let's start with Kale because she had an actually interesting week and <laughs> I'm being generous to her because I think she actually handled this week quite well. And so there's no Chris drama this week. She's like, well, I hope it's not true that this girl is pregnant. <sighs> so she is ta- the episode starts with her taking the boys to their dad's house. Remember, Kale is living far away from their house, um, which I think probably goes into what ends up happening. Uh, at this point, she's living like an hour away. According to Kale, she is selling the house she currently lives in, selling the house that she's been running out in Dover and building a new house, I guess, somewhere closer to Dover. Girl, <laughs> go for it, I guess. I don't know. People are like, that is so chaotic, but they haven't switched schools at all. And I mean, a lot of kids move a lot. So I don't think that that would be the end of the world, that they would move after I mean, if she's building a house, it's probably not going to be before next summer, which would put them in that house for two years, which really isn't crazy. I, I'm, I don't know. Uh, so she is taking Isaac and Lincoln to their dads. And Isaac um, is in the back seat. first of all, not wearing his seatbelt, correct? <laughs> Begging Kale to put him in his seatbelt, right? And she's, he's like, well, why do I have to go to my dad's? And Kale says, I wrote this down word for word because I actually thought this was like pretty good. She'd been talking to the boys about how they're going to have such a good week and being just like really positive. And she says to Isaac, unfortunately for me, but fortunately for you, and I know you don't see it right now, you have to go to your dad's because he's a 50, he's a 50% of your parents. Every time you go to your dad's, don't you have a good time? And Isaac says, yeah, but I do the same thing every day and I can't go and I can't do anything else because he doesn't plan anything special or anything. And Kale, instead of shitting on Joe, which I kind of thought she was going to do, she says, "Um, you're actually so lucky because some parents, uh, some kids whose parents split up, one of the parents doesn't always want to be there. So you're very lucky, you know, that your dad wants to be there and spend time with you. And Isaac's like, I know. But he's always at work and stuff. So I found this to be very interesting. In this episode, Isaac is nine turning 10. And he is expressing, I think, a very normal kid like reaction. I I think that it makes sense that Isaac wants to say kills, mostly because at kills he has Lincoln, he has Lux, they have a pool. Um, Joe might have a pool too. I vaguely remember Joe having a pool. Um, but because I feel like he got a pool and then Kale got a pool at that old house. <laughs> because she's a petty bitch like that. Um, but I Kale always has like a ton of friends around and their kids. And at Joe's, it's probably just not as exciting. Kale also doesn't work nine to five, which I don't know. Is Joe always at work? I have I still have questions about Joe's work. <laughs> but there are obviously way less kids there. He just has his little sister who is... You know, he, V, or Vivi is, I think, four, which I think between a nine-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl, that's a very big age gap, as opposed to, like, nine-year-old Isaac and six-year-old Lincoln, I think because they're both boys, and then they play, and then they're kind of, like, Lincoln's kind of the in-between between Isaac and Lux, so I think it's a little different, and it probably is boring at Joe's house, or, like, it's not as fun. Right. But also it's like that that's life. And he really sounded like he was just whining. Like it didn't sound like anything serious to me. He wasn't like, I 
like he wasn't throwing a fit he wasn't being that like staunch in it he just didn't want to go and also maybe like he doesn't like having to drive an hour there and then drive an hour back that could definitely be part of it I also think it probably sucks when you're a kid of divorce and like you know Isaac and Lincoln are on the same schedule but Lux isn't so they know Lux is going to be at home and maybe she has a fun weekend planned with the pizza party for Lux and her friend and her friend's kids and they know it. And I think it's just hard. I think it's hard to be 10 and split your life 50-50. Now, do I think that that's probably the best for kids in general? Yeah, I like I think it's really great for a kid to be able to split their time 50-50. Um, that was very rare when I was a kid. I didn't really know anybody who did uh, 50-50 custody. It was almost always dad had you every other weekend. I did have one friend whose dad had him every other weekend. And then on the weekends, he was at his dad's house. He would stay at his mom's on Thursday, but his dad's on Wednesday. Like, he had a crazy schedule that I could never keep track of, which was always annoying because his dad let us do anything we wanted at his house. So I was always like, are you at your dad's house? <laughs> It's like trying to learn his custody schedule. <laughs> but um, where was I? Oh, so like I did have one friend um, in high school that had her parents had like true 50-50 custody. And she would spend one week there and one week at her dad's and one week at her mom's. And it was hard for her because her parents had totally different parenting styles. At her dad's house, she had three. She was one of three. And then her dad had married a woman that had three kids of her own. Her dad was really strict, like really strict. At one point, they had a house fire at her dad's and like had to move into like a hotel and then an apartment with all of these people. And I know it sucked for her that she was like, I just want to be at my mom's house. I mean, she really loved her dad and got along very well with her dad, even though he was strict. But and they lived close to one another. They only lived like 10 minutes away from each other. But she always wanted something that was at her dad's house when she was at her mom's house and vice versa. And it just, I think it can be a lot for a kid. But I also think that that's better to see your dad 50% of the time than to see him every other weekend. Because how can your, I think it's much harder for a parent to establish a, a parenting bond with a child if you only see them every other weekend. Of course, not impossible. It's just much harder. And like when you're with a kid 50% of the time, you can actually parent as opposed to just like watching them every other weekend and entertaining them for two days. So I definitely feel for Isaac here. And I also think like he's getting to the age where, you know, he's old enough to like say that he doesn't want to do something and his parents actually listen to him, if that makes sense. Like once a kid hits a certain age when they say they don't want to do something, I feel like you're a lot more likely to agree with it because you are, you know, it's part of life that you grow up and you get autonomy. And that's part of parenting is giving your kid choices and the ability to say they don't want to do things. And I think that like he is maybe just like testing the waters. He was probably just cranky and in a mood and he just wanted to stay at his house. And I think that Kale handled this well. I think that Kale being like not being... If you had asked me how I thought Kale would handle this, I thought I would have thought that she would have been like, how come? Oh, you don't want to go to your dad's house? Do you not like being at your dad's house? Do you want to stay with me more? Should I ask your dad if you should stay with me more? She very much was like kind of shut the conversation down. 
but not like and she was ba- she acknowledged him and like validated his feelings but was like but this is how it is and this is how it's gonna go and once you get to your dad's you always have a good time I just thought she handled it really well so after she drops off Isaac she calls her friend I did notice Kale's always holding her phone on speaker and like that bitch definitely has bluetooth in that XL Denali she drives around <laughs> like I don't know why she doesn't use the bluetooth And she's talking to her friend about it. And she's like, I don't really know what to do. She's like, I, she does say, which I think is interesting. She says, it's not about money because I think she knows right away that Joe and other people are going to be like, well, you have so much more money than Joe. So you can do so much more fun things than Joe can. But she's like, you know, all we did this weekend was buy a science book and have a pizza. Like we didn't go anywhere. It's not about money. It's that he just like is getting older and wants to be able to pick what he does. And Kale thinks her opinion is that Isaac should be able to decide if he wants to stay an extra day or two at either parent's house. Now, if Joe presented this, (laughs) would Kale agree with it? No, of course she wouldn't. And she even says it. She's like, if they came to me with this, I would feel attacked. You know, I saw someone on Reddit say something very insightful and I thought was very interesting. And they pointed out that when Kale was 10, like that girl was taking care of herself. She was signing her own permission slips. She was like covering for her mom. She was calling bars to find where her mom was. Kale had to grow up very quickly as a child. And I'm I have a feeling that when Kale thinks about being 10, she is thinking about having that she had a lot of control over her life in a bad way. So I think to her, like when she says like a 10 year old should be able to make this decision, I don't I don't think that she necessarily has quite the understanding of like a normal 10 year old's life. And I think she's looking at it from a perspective of how how her life was at 10, because I do think that 10 is too young for this, right? Like, I I do. And Joda's too. Um, And Kale, you know, I get what she's saying. I also think it's probably hard to, like, hear your kids say that. And also, like, of course you want them to be at your house more. Kale also is worried that, you know, Isaac is saying this to her because he really feels this way and won't say anything to Joe because he's, she's like, Isaac cares so much about every feel, everybody's feelings. I know he wouldn't say anything to his dad because he doesn't want to hurt his dad's feelings. And yeah, I think that like, I think it's just a, I don't know. I think it was an important conversation to have with Joe because you, you should listen to your kids and what they have to say. But at the same time, like I do think that it's probably too early for Isaac to be making these decisions. Um, You know, Kale says, like, all I can do is write down the dates that he doesn't want to go and why, which obviously means, even though later in the episode, she's like, I'm not going back to court. But, like, why else would you be writing it down? Because if you guys go back to court, you want to be able to show your lawyer that Isaac asked to stay home these days and these are the reasons. (laughs) So, okay. Um... Kale says to her friend, he has to go to his dad sometimes, but he doesn't want to, if he doesn't want to go, he shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to have a court schedule. Uh, Which is like, of course you need to have a court schedule, Kale. (laughs) Of course you and Joe need to have a court schedule. So she talks to Joe. She doesn't want Joe to feel attacked. So she calls Joe. She has an off-camera conversation with Joe and then recounts it to her friends. I think that one guy's name is Mark. He's been her friend since high school. And 
she is talking about it. And basically she says that Joe, it's a no go for Joe, which I like, I really can see both sides here. I guess if I take, okay, I guess to see both sides, I need to take Kale at her word that she only wants this to be a couple of days here and there, which I am assuming that Joe does not trust. And I am assuming that Joe feels like we finally have custody figured out. I finally have 50%. Everything is going good. And I don't trust Kale to go off schedule. And, you know, when you go off schedule, then, like, you fight more. Like, there is a more chance to fight. Like, when you stick to the schedule, as the schedule says, like, to a T, then you can't really fight because it's like, well, we're just following the schedule. And if Kale wants to fight, all he has to say is, like, we're just following the schedule. I did think that one time, remember when you wouldn't let Isaac skip 4th of July to go to Hawaii early? I did think that was annoying. Like, I, I was like, come on. You have him for an afternoon, not even a whole day, I believe it was. <laughs> he got him for like four hours in the afternoon. I thought that was a little much. But at the same time, especially like, I was like, well, why doesn't he take Christmas like Kale offered? But then I realized, I think that Joe just doesn't trust Kale like that. I think that this is what it comes down to. I think that Joe feels like we have gotten into a position where everything is going smoothly. So why should I set up potential for me and Kale to fight. Like all I would, when I'm agreeing to this, all I would be doing is like agreeing to future fights with Kale. I think he doesn't trust that Kale would uh, be so flexible on her days, <laughs> which, you know, is fair enough. Although I will say it does seem like based on certain things that her and Javi are a little more flexible. Um, You know, I've noticed like when uh, she says that they switch uh, weeks for vacations a lot, we know that she lets Javi take Isaac on vacation, which means she's letting Isaac go on her time, not on Joe's time. Um, so I think her and Javi definitely are a little more flexible. But I think in general, like Joe just feels like this is not what is going to work for him. And I think he has every right to say that. And I totally understand. I also think he is right that Isaac is too young to make these decisions. I think that it's like, well, let's reassess this in a couple of years. I think Joe, who had a more normal childhood, is like he's in fourth grade. <laughs> like he's too young to decide this. Um, so I think that they probably both look at a nine slash 10 year old very differently because of their childhood experiences. And yeah, I think it just comes down to the fact that he doesn't trust Kale. And I think that he has every right to feel that way. And we have seen Kale be very irrational and he, like not flexible. And I, I think that he understands that Kale has mood swings, if you will. Um, She, you know, she swings back and forth and everything could be going well with this like new flexible plan for six months. And then Kale has a meltdown over it and everything blows up. So I think Joe is absolutely in the right to say that we're not going to do that. But I also don't think Kale was wrong for asking. I think the reality is, is that Isaac said something to her and she knows Isaac very well. And she knows that Isaac is really concerned with other people's feelings. And she knows that Isaac absolutely does not want to hurt his dad's feelings. So if Isaac is like taking, willing to talk to her about this and say this, I think from her perspective is like, I trust Isaac. He's so aware of people's feelings and his own feelings that I want to listen to him about what he's saying. And I think it was right for her to talk to Joe about it. Um, and she she seemed OK. She was like, yeah, I get it. Like, he doesn't want to do it. I'm not going back to court. So 
we'll just figure it out later. I think she's very right, though, that it's like things are going to start changing because our kid is getting older. And I think that's very true. The reality is, especially if Kale's living further away, like, you know, kids want to go to their friends' houses. Kids want to play their sports where they want to play them. Like, kids don't want to shuffle back and forth as much. And I think that they are both going to have to figure out a way to handle that when Isaac is a teenager. You know, when Isaac is 12, 13, 14, I think that it is going to come up again. So that's why I don't think Kale was wrong to talk to him about it because I actually think it's good to set the precedent that they are they can have calm conversations over the things that Isaac is expressing to them, you know, like especially because Isaac is such a sensitive kid and they both probably know that like he's not going to speak up to the other one. And that also includes like if Isaac says to Joe, like, I don't want to go to mom back to mom's house because of X, Y, Z, Joe should be able to go to Kale and Kale should listen. Do I think she will? Maybe not. But maybe, I don't know, she seemed really self-aware in this episode in a way that was actually very surprising to me. And I think she's right. And I think that we're seeing it with everybody else and all these kids growing up that it is tough to share 50-50 custody of kids that are that are older. I think it's just really hard to do. And I think that I think that her and Joe are a good place. And I think it's good that she understands that she doesn't want Joe to feel attacked I think it's good that Joe feels like he can calmly have a conversation with Kale and say, no, I don't want to do that. Um, Of course, like Joe has court on his side, so he does hold all the power here. But I think it's good that he didn't. It doesn't seem like he made it a thing. Kale, you know, shortly, of course, like when she was venting to her friend at first after Isaac got out of the car, she did seem like a little like stressed with Joe over how she would how she thought he was going to react but, like, when she was discussing with her friends, she was calm. She didn't shit talk Joe at all. She seemed to really understand. So I hope that that's a sign for things to come of how Kale will be with both Joe and Javi uh, as the kids get older. I, I think that if they can all agree to changing schedules and being flexible, that would be really great. And I hope that Kale can live up to her side of that. And I completely understand why Joe doesn't trust her. But I also don't think it's fair to be like, Kale was trying to prevent Isaac from going to his dad's house. Like, or Kale doesn't want Isaac to have a relationship with his dad. Because I don't think that's true. I think that she's just like trying to figure out how to validate Isaac's feelings without like causing a big issue. Also, apparently, according to Leah and Kale, the twins go back and forth depending on who they want to be with. I don't know. They say Leah's kid. So I wonder if they're talking about Addie and Addie going to her grandmother's. I would be very surprised if Corey was okay with this. But supposedly, when the girls say they want to be at one house versus the other, they take them there. Now, we've never heard Leah really talk about this. But this is what Kale says. And I think that they talked about it on a podcast. And Leah, like, kind of agreed. But I don't, I can't remember any specifics about it. And she's like, well, my kids should be able to do it if Leah's kids can. But like, you know, every kid is different and every family is different. And you can't base your family off of what other people are doing. So in contrast to that, (laughs) to somebody that I thought handled this very well, can we rant about Chelsea right now? Guys, Chelsea is such a fucking baby. 
She is such a baby. It's how I feel about Leah. Like, I'm sorry. I cannot stand somebody that cannot have a conversation. I cannot stand somebody that cannot have an adult conversation. I cannot stand it. She is such a baby. It drives me up a wall. So in this episode, Aubrey decides that she doesn't want to go to the uh, the Lynn's house. Now, we need to make this very clear. The Lynn's have a custody agreement with Chelsea. Chelsea doesn't send uh, Aubrey over there from the good of her heart. What they used to have was Aubrey went over there every other week and they could supervise visits with Adam because that was like they were the supervisors and Adam got her every other week, but really the Lynn's got her. Then when Adam got that right taken away and the Lynn's were no longer a trusted source to um, be the supervisor and he had to go to the visitation center, their new agreement, which Chelsea agreed to in court, was that Aubrey would continue to go to the Lynn's one weekend a month, which I think is pretty reasonable, Um, especially for her age. I think to go one weekend a month is a pretty normal grandparent relationship. I think that I can understand going forward, maybe Chelsea will want to change that and just kind of allow Aubrey to go over there when it's convenient for Aubrey and convenient for the Lynn's. And I think that if I was Chelsea, I would not want to have a custody agreement with my child's grandparents, but she does. She does. I have a lot to say about this. Okay, I want to... <laughs> I have a lot to talk about. I've been thinking about this a lot this week. First... So what happens is, I'll go over like what happens, then I think everything Chelsea should have done, and also a lot of feelings that I have about the Lynn's and the way that Chelsea views them. Okay, I think what happens is that Chelsea texts Donna and basically is like, hey, Aubrey, just let me know that she doesn't really want to come over this weekend. And Donna's like, oh, okay, like, is anything, is there anything that I should know about? Basically being like, is anything wrong? And I think Chelsea said, I wish I wrote down exactly what she said. I don't think I did. I didn't. But Donna asking like, hey, is there something that I should know about is a totally reasonable question. And Chelsea reads it out loud and Cole's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Just say she doesn't want to go. And Chelsea's like, why is she even asking this? She just doesn't want to go. And it's like, just. (sighs) Donna is so understanding. This is apparently the first time, as far as we know, that Chelsea hasn't or that Aubrey hasn't gone over there for their arranged custody time. And Donna immediately said, yes, she didn't make any sort of a stink. I think it's totally reasonable that she was like, oh, is there anything that I should know about it? Like, I'm sure she's thinking, is she sick? Did something happen? Is something going on with you guys? Like, just let me know. It's like, it it was such a reasonable response. And Chelsea and Cole immediately are so fucking defensive about it in a way that I found very grating. I cannot stand when the two of them get worked up together. their voices nails on chalkboard so then Chelsea goes out to lunch with Randy and Rita Rita's Randy's wife and she tells us what happened after that conversation so apparently that day there's a Christmas tree in the background when she was texting Donna so I'm assuming this is Christmas time this was like the last visit I'm sure that they were going to have with Aubrey before Christmas. And Donna apparently brought a bunch of cookies home or treats, like Christmas treats from work because Aubrey was going to be there and they were for Aubrey. Totally reasonable, right? So Donna texts Chelsea and is like, hey, I brought some treats home from work. I would still love for Aubrey to have them. Can I just swing by and drop them off? Chelsea is like, I don't understand why she is doing that. She just wanted to confront Aubrey. 
Well, actually, she says she just wanted to confront and then kind of stops herself and then says, like, I don't want Aubrey to feel bad because I think what she was going to say is she just wants to confront me and then caught herself. And what Chelsea says she did, she's like, Aubrey, you have to call her and tell her that nothing's going on and you just don't want to do it. And then she goes, but, you know, Aubrey's not going to do that. Like, Aubrey doesn't want to hurt her feelings. So here's what I'm 99% sure happened. Chelsea never fucking responded to Donna. I'm like pretty sure that's what happened because she doesn't mention anything in this conversation about a response to Donna. So I'm sure that Donna was like, okay, well, I didn't hear anything. So I'll just go swing by the house, drop these off, give her a kiss and then leave. I also think that Maybe she should have had Aubrey call and say to Grandma Donna, like, I don't want to come, but everything's okay and I really love you. Or actually, no. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to get to what should happen. Well, we'll get there. So I'm 99% sure it is implied during this conversation that Chelsea never responded to Donna. So the the DeBoers were out for dinner or whatever. And they see the, on the ring cam, she gets an alert that Donna came to the house. Can you believe that? She came and dropped them off. Like, isn't that so weird? And you get, Randy and Rita are actually not really playing into this. They're like, yeah, that's weird. (laughs) They really don't seem like to be buying into Chelsea's bullshit, which I was pretty surprised about. And Chelsea's like, I just don't understand why she would do that. It's just so weird. I don't want her to do that. Randy's like, well, you know, like if you don't want... Aubrey to go over there. There's really nothing you can do except you can go to court and fix it or you can just start doing what you want, which I found to be a very weird statement. (laughs) Very weird. This whole conversation was so weird. Okay, now I want to get into some things about what I think they should do, what I think did happen, what I think feeling-wise is going on. One, I'm sure Chelsea, who is you know, in her 20s, it is weird for somebody to stop by without getting like express permission. But I I'm sorry, I just cannot assign malice to Donna. I do not know her. We don't know anything about her except for some mistakes that she's made. What we do know about Donna is that she has shown up every other week for Aubrey's entire life. Donna loves Aubrey. Donna goes to that school once a week to have lunch with her. Donna goes to every uh, fucking school event that she has, like all those boring ass concerts that kids have. She goes to all of Aubrey's sports games and she has been with Aubrey almost every other weekend of her entire life. Donna has her faults and has fucked up and I'm not going to disagree with that and I'm going to get into that a little more in a second. But Donna has been a consistent figure in Aubrey's life, like a very consistent figure in Aubrey's life. And she clearly loves Aubrey very much. And I think to her, she was probably just like, oh, I'll swing by and drop them off. Because like people in Donna's light, like in her generation would do that, right? Like I'm sure for Chelsea, she never has anybody show up that didn't call first or text first, which yeah, same for me. But I can see why Donna like thought that would be okay. Okay, number two. Chelsea needs to grow the fuck up. She needs to grow up. She needs to grow up and talk to Donna. I just don't understand why they're not having conversations. First of all, it's so clear that Chelsea views 
Adam and his parents is one unit and she feels like it's her against the lens. And I don't think that's a very healthy uh, attitude to have, especially when you have a court order mandating visitation with somebody. If you don't want to have that at all, then go back to court. You know, like if you don't want to have to deal with Donna at all, then go back to court, get her rights completely removed. Well, she doesn't have rights, but like her visitations completely removed because you are the parent and you would like most likely be able to do that. And then tell Donna to go shove it. Like, if that's what you want, that's what you should do. But if you're not going to do that, then you need to make sure that you have a civil relationship with them. I'm not saying she needs to be their friend. I'm not saying she needs to like Donna. But there's no reason that Chelsea can't, like, have a conversation with Donna. I don't understand why she cannot talk to Donna. She will not talk to her. Do you remember when... um? Chelsea was at court and Donna tried to like talk to her and was like, I just want to talk about this. Chelsea wouldn't talk to her. That time Donna came to the house to try and talk to her. Chelsea said no. She wouldn't answer the door because Cole was in the bathroom. It seems like Chelsea refuses to talk to talk to Donna. And it just really, it really grinds my gears. Like, I don't understand why she can't have a relationship with Donna where Donna swings by, drops off the treats. They all wave and they give each other kisses, and then she leaves, and they she says, okay, bye, Donna. It was great to see you. Like, any other normal person would, right? Like, che- I feel like in Chelsea's world, I don't think Chelsea has, like, like, almost any conflict skills, so I think in Chelsea's world, you're either her best friend and totally on her side, or she, like, does not deal with you. You see how she is with her mom? Like, anytime her mom pushes back at all against her, she, like, snaps at her. And she's so close with her dad because her dad never pushes back against her, basically. I really think that Chelsea... I would be really curious to see how Chelsea is with friends. And if Chelsea ever has hard conversations with her friends. Or if she just, like, they fall out and they never talk again. Because it doesn't seem like she has any conflict management skills. At all. What Chelsea should do going forward is call Donna, invite Donna to come over to her home. If she doesn't feel comfortable with her there, go and meet her and have an adult conversation with Donna about Chelsea's or about Aubrey's changing needs. You say, Donna, look, I appreciate so much how much you love Aubrey. I want you and your husband to have a close relationship with Aubrey. It's so special how much she loves her grandparents. But Aubrey's getting older, and I feel like I would like for you guys to have more of a traditional grandparent relationship than a custody-mandated relationship. What I would like that to look like is that, you know, Aubrey goes over for a son. She, I think Aubrey goes to church with them when she visits. Um, So maybe Chelsea could offer, like, you know, a few times a month, uh, you can pick her up and take her to church. You guys can come and take her out for dinner during the week. She can sleep over when she wants to. Because, like, kids like to sleep over at their grandparents' house, right? Like, I think that it's totally reasonable for Chelsea to ask Donna to move to a more traditional grandparent, parent, like, child relationship. I think right now they're in a very weird in-between zone where Donna doesn't have parenting rights. I'm saying Donna because I don't even know what her husband's name is. And it seems like Donna is the one that Chelsea deals with and has an issue with. Like, they're in a weird position where they have a court-ordered visitation schedule, but that doesn't actually work anymore because there's no relationship with Adam between her and, between Adam and Aubrey. And so there's no reason that, like, they shouldn't all be mature enough to facilitate just a normal relationship. Um, You know, my understanding is that Donna has three other kids that are 
totally normal. She has other grandkids that she's close with. Like, I, I hate to say that, like, I totally, I don't know. I don't know Donna. So maybe she is some petty, awful person and Chelsea just doesn't trust her. But like everything else I see, it seems like Chelsea just like does not have the ability to have an adult conversation about this. And I think that like if Chelsea came to Donna and like wasn't like we're taking away visits, but like how do we move to a normal, like a more normal uh, like relationship as as Aubrey goes into middle school? You know, Donna loves Aubrey so much. And as I said, she's been such a consistent in Aubrey's life. And Chelsea should be happy and grateful for that and should let Donna know that she appreciates that. But let Donna know that, you know, in the best interest of Aubrey, and they need to move away from this mandated everyday visit and they should go to court and like agree and ask for the visitation to be like change the schedule to change like jointly. They should go to mediation or whatever and get it changed because they can come to an agreement. Now, maybe it's possible that Chelsea does not think Donna will ever agree to that. And that's why she never will do that. But I don't really understand why she wouldn't even ask that. And also, if she thinks that Donna will never agree to it, then why doesn't she just go back to court and get it changed? Because as I said, like, I don't know what South Dakota's grandparents' rights are. Maybe they have strong grandparents' rights there. And that's why they're still able to have this. But like, Chelsea is the parent. Chelsea is the one with parental rights. Donna doesn't have any parental rights over Aubrey. So if she really doesn't want Aubrey to have to go over there, like she has options. And those options are she can talk to Donna like a fucking adult, like a mother of four children, or she can go to court and get it changed and fight with Donna about it. Now, here's the other thing that we need to talk about the Lynn's and Adam. Have the Lynn's fucked up when it comes to Adam. A hundred percent. Do I think it's good that the Lynns are no longer allowed to supervise visits with Adam? A hundred percent. Do I understand why Chelsea has had issues with them in the past and does not trust them? Absolutely. They did not follow their agreement, right? There was a time that they let uh, Adam drive with her when they weren't supposed to. There was a time that they let Aubrey be unsupervised with Adam when they weren't supposed to. There was a time that Donna was denying that Adam had any drug problem at all. And I guess telling Aubrey that like that it wasn't true. Basically, so like insinuating that Chelsea and Cole were liars. I understand all this. And I I think that Chelsea is completely in the right with that. Right. Like I, I get that. But as I said, they still have they still have a custody agreement. She still has visitations. So what is Chelsea going to do to make sure that this is a civil relationship going forward? Because that should be the goal. I also think it's very weird how little, not weird, I wish Chelsea could extend empathy towards the lens. I think this is where I really wish Chelsea could grow up. <laughs> I don't think Chelsea in general is a very empathetic person. Um, I think she's pretty self-centered. And when you aren't like in her direct orbit. She just like doesn't really care about you. That's kind of how she's always been. You know, we saw how I mean, I know she was only like 19, but like we saw how she treated her friends and how she let Adam treat her friends. And like we've seen her be not great and self-centered. And I don't think it's like the end of the world. Like I don't think Chelsea has narcissistic personality disorder. I just think that primarily she's pretty self-centered. And I think that, like I said, she just doesn't I don't think she, first of all, I don't think Chelsea has a very <laughs> elevated worldview, if you will. 
I don't think that Chelsea uh, has a lot of understanding of addiction. And I don't think Chelsea has done almost anything to educate herself about addiction and families that deal with addiction. You know, as opposed to who has not done everything perfect at all, but this is a comparable situation, Macy. When it came out that Ryan was so seriously addicted to drugs, she was calling that therapist. Maybe MTV set it up, but she still did. She was having conversations with Jen and Larry. She was like, you know, she was she had empathy towards them and even towards Mackenzie. Even when Ryan and Mackenzie and Jen and Larry are being the worst, like Macy has empathy towards them. And Chelsea doesn't. And I wish that Chelsea could say, I'm really upset about what the Lynns did. I do not have a lot of trust for them because they have broken my trust. And in the past, they did not do what they said that they would do, which is why I do not trust them very much. However, I understand that it is extremely hard to be the parent of an addict. I understand that parents of addicts make mistakes for years. Parents of addicts fuck up. Parents of addicts are in denial. Most parents of addicts fuck up forever. And you know what? I have seen from A to Z when it comes to how parents deal with their addicted child. And let me tell you, from A to Z, you get dead kids from overdose. It doesn't like there is no way to be a perfect parent to a child with addiction. There is no way. I've seen the total tough love cut them all off, don't enable them at all, and they die. I've seen the like total enabling, totally let them do whatever they want, and they die. I've seen in the middle, and they die. Like, that's just reality. And being the parent of an addict is so fucking hard. And I don't know a single parent that didn't deny their kids drug addiction for too long. I don't know a single parent that didn't enable their child for too long. And was it extremely fucked up that they prioritize their feelings for Adam over Aubrey's safety? Yes. Absolutely yes. But the reality is, is Chelsea still trusts them enough to send Aubrey over there every other weekend and had enough trust in them to not fight harder for a different custody schedule. So if that's the case, she needs to start working with Donna to rebuild that trust. And I will say, since they went back to court, as far as we know, there have not been any issues right? Like they have stuck to the agreement as going as far as last season, I think, or maybe two seasons ago, um, Adam showed up at the house when uh, Aubrey was there and Donna immediately called Chelsea and said that you need to come pick up Aubrey because Adam's here and he's not allowed to be here with her, which to me shows that she was, you know, being serious about their agreement. And as far as we know, in a few years has not broken their agreement. And what drives me really crazy is that Chelsea can understand how much Adam fucked up her life and Aubrey's life, right? Like she can understand what Adam's addiction did to them. And she can understand how hurtful it is for her and Aubrey. But she does not be able to seem to be able to extend that empathy to the lens. Like I would what I would like for Chelsea is to say, I know how much Adam has fucked me. (laughs) That sounds bad. Fucked me over, fucked with me, whatever. I know how hurtful Adam's addiction is to Aubrey, but that's Donna's son. So that probably feels 10 times fucking worse than any of this, because I know that if my child was doing that, I would feel terrible and it would be really fucking hard. And I don't really understand why Chelsea isn't getting to this place the older she gets. She does not seem to be really maturing in a lot of ways. And that kind of worries me. Um, if anything, in a, in a lot of ways, she seems to be regressing um, in a way that I find kind of troubling. But I just like, 
Like, Chelsea should sit down with Donna and, like, tell her straight up, because Chelsea's an adult, I do not trust you. I have trust issues with you. And this is why I have trust issues with you. And as a parent, I need you to sit here and listen to this. And I need to, for us to know that we're on the same page. And I need to hear that you understand that your son is an addict and he is not around, allowed to be around my daughter. And I need to know that you understand why the, that reason is. And if, if you apologize... And if you understand, and if we can get on the same page, I'm very happy to move forward with a civil relationship. And if you cannot, then we need to change this custody agreement. And I need to seriously limit your involvement in my daughter's life. But Chelsea won't do that. All she'll do is bitch and ignore Donna and put Aubrey in a weird position. You know? It just drives me nuts. And I know that we are missing a big part of this because because we don't know the lens and for what it's worth, Chelsea doesn't talk that much about them on camera. She talks about Adam, but not that much about Donna. But I really do think that, like, it's time for her to shit or get off the pot, you know? Have the conversation or go get the custody changed. That's it. That's all there is to it. Those are your only two options. Because what's going on right now is not working. And Chelsea's going to push this non-confrontational bullshit until there's a blow up. I'm sure of it because how many times can you say to the person that you have a custody agreement with that your kid doesn't want to go over there? Eventually, they're going to try and enforce the custody agreement, which is going to send you back to court anyway. Chelsea can't just do what she wants because Donna has a fucking court order that says that Aubrey needs to go over there once a month. And I'm sure the weekend is scheduled. It's probably the third weekend of every month or some shit. So like if Chelsea doesn't want that, then she needs to do something about it. And that's my rant about Chelsea. I just find her so immature. I find her so immature. I cannot stand an adult that can't have grown-up conversations. And I understand that it's hard and some people are not good at confrontation. And I think that's totally fair. But I think if that is something that you struggle with, like, you should be making an effort as an adult to work on that. And if you are a parent and you're in an uncomfortable situation, like, ignoring it until it goes away is not going to happen. <laughs> Like, Chelsea needs to do something because this is not going to be a tenable situation for her daughter. And that's why Chelsea needs to set up because she needs to do this for Aubrey. Because the two women in Aubrey's life that love her the most don't get along. And I'm not saying they need to be friends. I'm not saying she needs to let Donna come over for holidays. I'm not saying Donna needs any extra time than what she's agreed to in the custody schedule. But they need to be civil. And there needs to be a relationship there. And if Chelsea absolutely cannot and will not ever trust Donna, then she should go get the visit changed. That's that's just it. Oh, that was a long talk about Chelsea. I feel like I don't normally ever talk about Chelsea this much. Should we go to the other weak ass bitch in this <laughs> series? <laughs> Leah. This was a very boring episode for Leah. All that happened with Leah is that her and Corey went to the doctor's appointment and we saw Dr. Sal, who I love to see, and he said that Allie is retaining strength. Um, he did emphasize that she should be using her power wheelchair at home. They're like, she uses it at school. And then I noticed he said, Allie should be using her power wheelchair at home and at school. Um, they also said that she is falling. So, you know, there's that. Um, I am happy to see that Allie is retaining strength. I'm happy to see that Dr. Sal was happy with her checkup. I just like don't like I just don't have any respect for Leah for how she handled this. I think it was so fucked up. Um, my new theory is that Leah didn't shut Jeremy down on stage because she wanted to fuck Jeremy that night. And she knew that if she shut down Jeremy, he would withhold affection from her because that's what he does. So 
my theory on why like it wasn't because she wanted to avoid confrontation because like I said if she wanted to avoid confrontation she could have avoided the confrontation by letting Corey know what happens before it was on TV and he started to get tagged in tweets about it (laughs) what she could have done was call him I think that Jeremy was drunk I think that Leah didn't know what he was going to say to the extent. I think beforehand, Jeremy was probably telling her like what he kind of planned to do. And I bet she was like, Jeremy Lynn, stop it. Stop it, Jeremy Lynn. And she really didn't expect him to go that hard. I also am not sure why she's not acknowledging the fact how much shit she talked on Miranda and how she agreed with Jeremy, how she stuck up for Corey, but agreed with all the Miranda shit. Like, and if you want to have a successful co-parenting relationship, you need to not publicly on national television shit talk their wife. <laughs> oh, so Corey went to the appointment. I forgot when he said, like, my dad and I are coming. I forgot that Corey's dad goes to these. I think Corey's dad always goes to them as the family representative. He said he was using his last PTO of the year to do it. Like, that could be Christmas Eve for him. You know what I mean? Or New Year's Eve. Like, I Leah being like, Allie asked for you to come is outrageous because Allie said no such thing. Leah confronted her on camera and said, do you want dad to come? Um, I, I just, the whole thing was about how good their co-parenting relationship is. And I'm like, I guess. I mean, obviously, it's better than it was. Obviously. Also, Leah's extensions looked so fucking bad. They are so unblended. <laughs> I really don't understand the point of wearing extensions if they're so unblended you can tell they're extensions. They don't look good. Stop. I don't get it. <laughs> Leah, well, I guess she has th- pretty thin hair. So she, maybe she feels like she has to. I will say I'm getting more used to her brown. And on, like, on TV, it looks a lot better than I think it does in pictures. Um, But I, like, I just, Leah's really manipulative. And I, I just don't like how she's behaving so far this season. I don't find it to be enjoyable and I really just don't I don't care for her talking shit on Miranda I guess is what I don't care for and I don't care for her acting like Jeremy is selfish for not going to those doctor's appointments and I I understand that they are very important and I think if they lived a different type of life it would be great if he could go But I think as long as he's being an active parent in every other sense then to like harp on this one thing doesn't make any sense. And for her not to call Jeremy out about it, I just can't. I just can't. She's such a weak ass bitch. Such a weak bitch. Okay, um, Jade, nothing happened with Jade this episode. Her and Sean are still fighting, but then they talk about how like we're gonna get along and then she passed her uh hair exam. I've realized Jade is only entertaining when she's fighting. <laughs> I really only like Jade when she's fighting with Sean or her mom. And when she just is doing normal things, I'm just like, okay, that's cool. Okay. (laughs) And Brie, okay. It's the aftermath of Brie fucking Lewis. And first of all, I was laughing so hard because Brie was kind of talking about it with her mom and her sister, not kind of like fully talking about it and making them laugh so hard. And I just, look, are they toxic? Yes. Are they codependent? Yes. Do they love each other? And like, I like to watch them when they're getting along. Absolutely. Uh, they were laughing so hard about 
just like Lewis being a loser. And Bree says that, I don't know if I believe this, Bree says that Lewis started crying, saying how much he wanted them to be a family. And she said that Lewis, naked, was sitting on his bed, sitting crisscross applesauce, <laughs> crying. <laughs> God, Brittany's like, you fucked up. I, I miss Brittany. I feel like we haven't seen enough Brittany so far this season. Roxanne emphasizes that they need to talk about it while sober and that it's great that they have this drunk conversation. We find out that they did not use protection. Gross. Bree is on birth control, but Brittany's like, you better go get tested, which we know that she gets the clap. So I like that they included that. Um, I, Yeah, I like that her family was like, I like that she can laugh with her mom and sister about it. It was a really funny conversation. Obviously, like, can't do it justice here. But Brittany is so funny. Roxanne is so funny. And Brie is not funny. But she is good at, um like, letting Brittany and Roxanne shine. <laughs> uh, so her and Louis go out for a meal. And I guess that day, Louis had FaceTime Stella. So, like, everybody's like, oh, my God, he's being a dad and Bree is concerned that he's only doing this because they had sex which is like no shit Sherlock no shit no shit and they go and they meet up and it's such a weird conversation because they're both very shy and not talkative oh god you know what at least Bree's not a weak ass bitch Bree is shy as fuck and Bree I would say is not confrontational but when she has to she has the conversation that's more than I can say for Chelsea or Leah so Brie basically is like, well, I need you to be in Stella's life, whether we're fucking or not. And Lewis is like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, how many times can they have this conversation? I'm assuming based on how they were talking, because Brie was like, are you glad we had sex? And he was like, well, yeah. And she's like, he asked her and she's like, I plead the fifth. I'm assuming they like went home together again after that conversation, right? Like, uh, surprise Lewis is gonna fuck her over I did you know what she said that she just got out of a relationship and that guy was really involved with her kids and I thought what I thought Javi it's been a while since she dated Javi I've already totally forgotten about John <laughs> John is out of sight out of mind for me I seriously had to sit and think on it I was like who is she talking about <laughs> poor John Oh, that's it for Team Mom this week. Um, I'm going to touch on 16 and recovering. Like, I, I think um, what I want to do is at the end of 16 and recovering, have somebody on to talk about it with me. Um, because I didn't take notes on this week's episode. And I really, obviously, if I don't take notes, I'm like not good at recapping it. And I figured I would just talk about my feelings. But I think those like re, those noteless recaps are a lot better when I have a guest on. So that's probably what I'm going to try and do is have a guest on and talk about the season as a whole. But I found this week's episode to be just as moving. I do have some qualms about and some questions about the boundaries in this school. Um, you know, they are very touchy-feely with the kids. There is a lot of I loves you, I love yous, hugs. Um, I think that if that works, it's incredible. What worries me is like all it takes is for one predator to get themselves hired at that school. And these are very vulnerable children. And I understand that it's probably really hard because this is like a therapeutic community because they want these kids to feel loved because many of these kids were abused as they were growing up and many of these kids have a ton of trauma and just no self-worth 
and these kids are like desperately seeking this love, I understand why they want to give them that love. But I'm not so sure the way that the staff does it is entirely above board or healthy. And I don't think, at least based on what we see on this show, anything is like happening wrong here, right? Like, I'm not saying that that's going on now. I'm just saying like, it has potential for it. And I think that if you run a therapeutic community like that, you need to have some really firm boundaries. And it doesn't seem like there are any boundaries, which is what this episode was truly about. Michelle, the principal, said that she goes and pulls kids out of shooting galleries. That's like where a bunch of people are shooting up dope. Uh, she pulls kids out of crack houses. She like will walk around with needles and bags of dope in her hand or her pocket because she just forgets they're there. When students die, she gets the call at one o'clock in the morning and just loses her mind screaming. In this episode, we get the news that somebody had, uh, one of their recent graduates had passed away from overdose and she's just crying. And I mean, I get it. I get it. Bound- First of all, boundaries are very hard. Um, But this kind of makes me wonder, like, if Michelle shouldn't be the one in charge and they should have, because my understanding is that Michelle is a teacher, right? Like, I don't, she probably has a drug and alcohol, like, certification would be my guess, but I don't think they've said that she has, like, any graduate school uh, training in counseling or social work. And they do have an LCSW, which is a licensed clinical social worker, and I believe the highest licensure that you can have on staff. But I I think that running the program, there needs to be somebody that maybe can better enforce boundaries and better enforce, like, I don't know, because I, I, I get what she's doing and it does work. And I think it's really, I mean, it's really great that the kids feel like they can come to school even if they like have relapse and that they're not like counting people's times and that But when they are, you know, in this episode, they forced somebody to go to detox, to treatment, because she came in, like, like blacked out on Xanax. And she was like, this is unsafe. This is triggering for other students. You can't be here like this. And I think that was totally the right call. That girl really made me sad. Her mom is dying of breast cancer. And by the end of filming, looked one step away from death. It was so fucking sad. Um, But I just, I don't know. I worry. I worry about the very vulnerable kids that are in this situation and desperate for love. And all it takes is one, you know? And like, it's very, I mean, it's very hard to see predators, right? Like it's hard. And especially in vulnerable situations like that. You know, when I was in treatment, like there definitely, when you are in substance abuse treatment, like there definitely is like a friend relationship between like, what they call like behavioral text, which um, the guy, I think his name is Angel, who doesn't seem to be a teacher. I think he would be what I would call a tech, which is just kind of like in charge of, you know, they're not drug and alcohol counselors. They're just like camp counselors. They're That's what they are. They're camp counselors. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's needed. <laughs> it's substance abuse treatment. And I think that like, where was I going with that? The te- oh, so techs often will have like a very close relationship with people in treatment because you spend a lot of time together. They're usually pretty young. They are usually in recovery and early-ish recovery for a lot of them because it's not a very high paying job. So a lot of places you have to have a year sober to be a tech. And so 
like most of their techs will have between like one and two years because it has a high turnover rate. It doesn't make that much money. It's stressful to do this job. And so I think that like, um, you know, I, I get why they are. And in most rehabs, like, yeah, the techs are very close with the clients, but there still has to be a line. And I don't remember like therapists ever like hugging and cuddling people essentially in my treatments. So I do worry about that. But at the same time, like I also understand the desperation that Michelle, the principal feels and the staff feels. And I understand like when you are like, I understand like the, just the total helpless feeling uh, that people have against fighting addiction and especially opioid addiction. Like I get that. And I definitely understand like why she's willing to run her school so differently and why she's willing to like give everything in her life to this. You know, she doesn't have any boundaries. It's 24 seven on call. Like her family suffers because of it, but she feels like this is her responsibility. And I can definitely understand that, you know, like I, I definitely get that. I get the emotions and the feelings and I think the positive outcomes are so wonderful uh it just worries me that there is a lack of boundaries I, it really worries me and I hope that that never comes to bite them in the ass so yeah I think what I'm gonna do is do a roundup of 16 and recovering after I think that will make for a better episode I'll do it on here on feathers in my hair and yeah that's that's it if you that's it for this week. If you want to follow me on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash Liz Explains. It's in my Instagram bio. Uh, this week, I released an episode on Nikki Felipe and vegan YouTube. I have a really exciting interview that I'm having coming up in the next couple weeks. Upcoming episodes I have recorded already are Love After Lockup, one specifically on the bling ring, um, not just Pretty Wild, but the bling ring, and one on toddlers and tiaras. So yeah, that's coming up. I'm really excited. I'm recording an episode tomorrow on Don't Be Tardy. Oh, and I did an incredible episode on Real Housewives of Potomac that I think is very worth becoming a patron for. So anyway, thank you guys all so much for listening. I hope everybody has a good week and I'll talk to you later. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.